special transmission here deep into the dome. I'm with Humble Howard from CFNY. Humble. John. Humble, how did you choose this episode? We chose this episode very scientifically. CFNY's listeners uh, picked the episode, and then uh, myself and Dan Duran chose our favorite. Way to go. Back to the episode. Keep going. Make it safe. <laughs> Welcome to D-Next, the Innovation and Entrepreneurs Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Coides. In this first episode of Season 2, we talk to humble Howard Glassman, media visionary, entrepreneur, and inspired inventor on podcasting then, now, and next. Howard, thank you for joining us for D-Next. It's great to have you be a part of this little experiment that we're involved with. Well, I'm happy that you asked me. I uh, I feel like you and I go back a long way, um, as we'll talk about in this this little session of ours. But I, uh, I, I was very pleased that you thought of me and happy to be part of it. Well, Howard, you know, this is a a masterclass series. And so we're talking to many people who we deem as innovators and entrepreneurs and reinventors, let's say. And I wanted to ask you, maybe start off with some big thinking types of questions. Um, I think it's been 10 years in now for you in podcasting. And if that's the case, and looking back, what have you learned in that last 10 years? Any big items there? Well, I learned a lot of stuff. I, I will just correct you a little bit. Fred and I did our very first podcast in December of 2006. We did about 20 of them between 2006 and 2011 when we started doing it for a job. We sort of got together. Uh, we had both been uh, working at different radio stations and we just did it because it was fun and we liked working with each other, but we never really. And in fact, in 2006, like in, in the world of podcasting, that's like Marconi's birth. You know, it's like, in two, I'd, I'd never heard of a podcast. Even when we started in 2011 to do it as a job, most people, um, yourself excluded, had never heard of a podcast. I remember you and I having a conversation kind of in the summer of 2011. And, and I really wasn't sure about podcasting. In fact, to be honest with you, I thought, you know, we would get the show back together, people would hear it, and then subsequently hire us to do a real radio show, which is, you know, the height of irony, because now our podcast has more listeners than any of the radio stations that run it combined. Amazing. But you were one of the first people I ever met that had a sense of this. In fact, you said to me, I've never forgotten this, you said, Um, because we were talking about launching the podcast and you said in a year from now you need to become an expert on podcasts do you remember this conversation I I certainly do sir and 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 I and I thought about that and then and then I forgot at some point but after a few years I realized oh I'd become an expert on podcasts and when I knew that was true is because about two years into the actual humble and Fred podcast job years we call it I started getting inbounded from other broadcasters that had lost their jobs and wanted to know how we had done it. 
So to answer your question, I know I just did my own intro. To answer your question, what I've learned in 10 years of doing this for a living is that the, the world has caught up to the idea that podcasting is a, a legitimate form of broadcasting and not something that you just do on the side. That'd be, I mean, there's a bunch of things I've learned about the world of podcasting, but the biggest takeaway I have now is how in the summer of 2011, you were one of the few people I could have a conversation with about this idea. And now it's all people talk about it. In fact, actually, I shouldn't say that. It's taken for granted that podcasts are just something that you listen to, that you can listen to, etc. Is that even close to an answer? I'm not it, sure. It, is, it certainly is. I, it, it leads me to asking you, do you think, is it fair to say that we're in a podcasting uh, explosion? I mean, why do you think it's so powerful? Or, or do you think it's powerful? Well, I think the answer is in um, the format of, of the, the idea of podcasting. It's very similar to when there was that point about 25 years ago when television exploded into a niche uh, medium, the Golf Channel, the Food Network, Outdoor Living, all those um, ideas where if you just wanted to look at home renovations, there was an entire channel for that. So the explosion of podcasting, it's just followed that. So it used to be you and I might like a, a radio show and the host is doing a three hour talk show. The problem with that is in that three hours, there only might be two or three uh, ideas that we, we really are interested in. With a podcast, you can listen to a podcast about the one thing you are most interested in. So to me, that's where it, it has exploded. And I think it has exploded for the simple reason that what it's done is it's taken the idea of broadcasting to a very micro a level of, if I'm interested in the psychology, I do another, I don't know if you knew this, but I, I do a separate podcast and it's all on the mental side of golf. I've been doing it for four years and it literally is every week, me and my golf buddy, we interview people from all over the world about the mental part of a game of golf. So we have an audience that's just interested in that. Not golf swings, not golf tournaments, not manufacturing, just this part of the game. And I think that's a, the best example I could give you in terms of why it works so well, is that whatever you're interested in, there's somebody at an expert level talking about it. Your audience is already, um, I suppose, connected to or bought into the idea because they sought you out. Uh, and uh, so, so therefore you have their attention perhaps in a, a different way? Well, they, yes, that's a very good point. In fact, I remember early on trying to uh, sell the idea of the Humble and Fred show. And I was trying to get somebody in an, in an advertising agency. This is really interesting because early on, we went to advertising agencies to try and sell the show and they had no idea what a podcast was. And these were like media buyers, late 20s, early 30s, 10 years ago. Now, of course, the irony is all those kids are listening to podcasts. And I remember explaining just what you said. The reason that this podcast works better than a radio show is because as opposed to, you know, like if you and I are in the car right now, we might have the radio on in the background. Maybe we're listening, maybe we're not. But if I'm in the car listening to a podcast, it's what you said. I've chosen it. I've gone to get it, even though it's 
you know, way easier now than it used to be. I still have to make a choice to subscribe and then I get a notification when the new one's up. And uh, lo and behold, they, in fact, they, I don't know if you've ever heard this stat, media buyers now value podcast listeners at 13 to one over a radio. Wow. That's 13 amazing. times more valuable because of what we're talking about. Do you think this venture into podcasting has changed the way you see yourself as a professional? Has it forced you to be more entrepreneurial than you were before as a, a creative content um, uh, practitioner? Or, I mean, you've always been very entrepreneurial and industrious, but has this made you dive a bit deeper into that? Well, thank you for that. I guess, you know, I've always been a bit of a hustler, but usually just to hustle gigs for stand-up or speaking gigs or whatever. But what this has done is it's kind of thrown Fred and I into the world of being a small business owner. We have a company, we have employees, we have to worry about benefits, we have rent to pay, we have studios we've built. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in a studio that's in the main floor of a, of a townhouse that I live in, that if you walked in, you think you're walking into a radio station. So what it's forced us to do, and, and I'm smiling when you, when you started saying that, I always laugh because, you know, Fred and I were fairly coddled as, you know, humble and Fred, radio guys, and we're the morning show, and we're making all this money, and we had all, all these people that did stuff for us. Well, before I got on a call with you today, I was talking to a potential client. I had Fred on the conference call. We have to be more, we have to do things we never used to think, you know, we, it was like, oh, that was somebody else's job. And I'm smiling. I remember once we did our show from a remote location and Fred and I were setting up the equipment, which as you know, is you know, dead simple. But I, I looked at Fred at one point and I said, didn't we used to have people to do this? <laughs> didn't, wasn't this somebody else's job at one point in our lives? So now the, I, the whole world of, of business is on our shoulders. Fred does the accounting, I do the sales, I onboard client, we write copy, etc. Do you think that makes you, I guess, a stronger, more 360 thinker? Uh, does it give you new ideas now because you're seeing, I mean, you've always appreciated how it works, but now you're seeing a bigger picture. Um, I think it gives me an appreciation for anybody I, I, I like to think of it this way. Anyone that's ever asked somebody else for money, that's a tough job. And yes, I've learned is. to do it the last 10 years. And, and to, it's been, I think my biggest growth as a broadcaster, ironically, in some ways came off the air because of what we're talking about. Because I had to be more mindful that, you know, we have these clients, they need to be served. When I, when I get a text in the middle of dinner from a client, I answer, you know, whereas maybe there was a time in my life I'd have been like, I'm too, I can't be bothered. Whereas now I'm on call 24 seven, you know, and, and we're really lucky that I don't get a lot of that, but I get some of it, you know? You know what clients are like? I mean, you've been entrepreneurial your whole life. The best day, and the worst day for an entrepreneur is when you get a new client. The best day is when they say yes, but then the next day you've actually got to do the job. Right. It's like, okay, here we go again. And so that cycle has repeated itself continually over 10 years. Well, certainly I think that's put you ahead of the curve because if you look at recent announcements, even as of yesterday with uh, big transitions at Bell Media and also with just the regular 
economic folk who, you know, this transformation that's happening because of COVID, forcing everybody to work in a digital kind of paradigm now, especially new businesses, you know, the digital end to end, they are de facto need to understand how media works if they're going to reach their customers and do all these things all at once. So I think uh, you you can probably uh, do some master classes yourself in that regard. But uh, if we can, take us back to the very beginning. Uh, if you can remember how you started in this industry. Like how did you break into radio or comedy, which was, I, I think, going on at the same time in your life? Um, yeah. Uh, well, just, you know, I, it's, it's funny. I, I, whenever I launch into the origin story, I, I found the older I get, the more bored I am with my own nonsense. <laughs> um, it was really simple. I wanted to do stand-up and I had really never thought much about radio. And the local radio station in my hometown happened to be a, uh, a wonderful training ground for a big Western Canadian chain. I happened to get a job there and I uh, started on the all night show like you do and then sort of worked my way up to a, a daytime shift. And one evening, uh, a gentleman from Vancouver who was sort of the national program director for this company happened to have a layover for some reason in Regina and turned on the radio station in Moose Jaw and there I was. And within a few uh, short uh, months, he hired me to come work in Vancouver and that's how I started uh, doing stand-up and radio at the same time. I sort of broke in to radio because it seemed like the only thing in my little town of Moose Jaw that was anywhere close to entertainment that I could get a job in. And it sort of led me to all the other things that I've done in, in stand-up and television and, and whatever. And, but it, it, along the way, I sort of fell in love with the idea of radio. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, like Freddie, Freddie always wanted to be on the radio. I didn't. I just sort of fell into it as something that I liked to do. And then I sort of realized I loved doing it. And it's the thing I've been doing off and on, you know, for 40, three years, which sounds incredible. So there was, there was a time in the late 80s, I guess it was, uh, on CFNY, uh, and you have to sort of fill me in on the details of the, the, uh, the actual stats on this, but this was the number one radio show in the market. You had so many, you had such influence. I mean, you still Well, did. it wasn't the late, I'll tell you what, I started with Fred in 1989, and by 1995, we were the number one show in Toronto, 18 and 34 year old adults. And the joke on our show was we never told anybody that. The, the, the Hummel and Fred bit was, you know, one day, like we had this whole campaign, number one in 97, um, which we sort of encouraged our audience and we were the little engine that could, etc. But in true Hummel and Fred fashion, we got to number one uh, a couple years before 97. We just never said anything about it. But yeah, we, we had a, you know, we were sort of that show and and uh, at the time, you know, we were sort of edgy. And then in 1998, you know, we were edgy for Toronto, but we were also not misogynist. And we, you know, we were working on a, a young adult station and, you know, we weren't your typical sort of shock jocks, although for Toronto we were, you know, because we, we just talked a little bit more authentically. And then in 1998, uh, Howard Stern came into the market and we went from being number one in that category to being number three 
in the first grading period, because Howard Stern was a big, was a novelty. And I used to say to people, imagine, like imagine you're, you know, you're pretty good or one of the best in your business. And all of a sudden, the best in the business in the world comes into your territory. He was certainly the most famous and arguably the best that ever did that job. And there we were, a little humble and Fred, and um, he kind of knocked us off our perch a bit. But eventually we came back to a solid number two. And for the years subsequent, until Stern left town and we left that radio station, we were always fine. We had a decent size audience. It just never was the novelty that it was prior to Howard Stern. So when you look at Howard Stern or Joe Rogan or these guys who've maybe been a part of this redefinition of the industry, yeah, what are some of the thoughts? I mean, do you think we're ready for the next big thing to come around? Or do you think that was a, a moment in time and now we're set in this paradigm? Is it personality driven? Is it technology driven? Well, you know, when we, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. I'd say when we first started, the biggest podcaster was uh, Mark Marin and the guy from The Man Show. Um, oh, um, Adam, Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla, I, yes, Adam Carolla. So that was the, those were the, Adam Carolla actually was the biggest star. And then it sort of morphed into Mark Marin, and now it's Joe Rogan. You know, I mean, Stern just signed another five-year contract. And, and why I love that is because he's older than Fred and I. And it sort of shows you that as long as your audience wants what you have to sell, then you can, excuse me, kind of keep doing this. As far as what's going to come along, you know, we dabbled on Twitch for a couple of years. We do Facebook Live. We've tried different things. So there's always going to be a new version of, a, of what we've all established now. And yes, there'll be bigger personalities. What I think you'll find, Paul, is that there, there's, there's going to be a bypassing of traditional media. Like out there somewhere right now is a 20-something or 30-something that has never been on the radio, that doesn't have any, has no interest in it, and is going to go straight to YouTube, uh, Twitch, podcasting. They're just going to bypass all the traditional bricks and mortar nonsense. Do you think Canada is a good place then for the next generation media innovators? Uh, what do we need to do? I mean, is it a good idea to encourage uh, this? And, and it, is innovation necessary in the media industry? Does it bring about some good things? Well, I think Canada, well, let me answer this but this way. I don't think it matters where you are anymore. I mean, Canada produced this YouTube superstar that I had never heard of named Lily Singh. Mm -hmm. My daughter's had, but I mean, she became a superstar without anyone over 40 knowing who she was. So the answer is, doesn't matter if you're in Canada or in, you know, wherever you are, you know, content, people that cr creative content will always will out. Um, so we're, yeah, we're as good a place as any because it no longer matters if you have access to the big city or you have access, you know, like I just started about a year ago. Uh, my kids are, my girls are 26 and 23. And they said, uh, oh, we're, uh, we're on TikTok. And I'm like, should I, should I be on TikTok? And they're like, no, daddy, 
you know, it's not for you. But I, I, and I don't produce any TikTok material, but I'll tell you, I love it. I'm not, because there's just some creative human beings I would have never been exposed to that are now some of my favorite influencers. So where, where talent, as I say, it'll, the talented people, content creators, <clears throat> excuse me, will always find a way. One of the guests uh, previously in this series was the creator and founder of Woodstock, a guy by the name of Michael Lang, who had this amazing story right. to tell of how that came together. And it got me thinking about, are we ready for another Woodstock moment, but in on a digital platform? Because I find that young people, even though they look at Woodstock as this very ancient, maybe biblical sort of times thing, are still very interested in it. Something about the magic or the freedom of it, or just the youthfulness of it. And uh, there's a, you know, that hasn't changed in whatever it's been 50 years or so. So this idea right. of these young people who may not even know better how this works, but still have this inner desire to connect or to tell stories or, you know, that's the power of music, maybe doing it in a different way. Do you think that, uh, when you look at what, say, television now, uh, as an example, that it is going to change uh, in the same way that audio has changed. I, I think that music and audio has always sort of been the front runner in a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, TV and film slow to catch up, but and, and you have some experiences in this area. Well, I um, <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll just tell you as far as TV goes, I think the time is the time for network anything is past. Like. As far as a, a music festival and young people coming together, do you hear that cat? I hear the cat. The ghost cat. Um, it's my assistant. I, I love that. That's you know I was going to tell you one of the things. The reason I mentioned it is because one of my favorite things about podcasting is it's actually real people having a conversation. Yeah. There's something about authenticity, wherever it is, that. People just love it, yes. and 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 why Woodstock was successful, why you know um, TikTok is successful is because you know it, there's such a it's such a moment of revelation for human beings to see that other people are just like them. They've got a cat. They've got you know one of the things about our show <clears throat> early on we did this. We were never afraid to show that we'd made mistakes. It was an early, early thing, a decision we made to try and not be perfect. And, and the audience kind of liked that. The Humble and Fred show originally was very self-deprecating, always made fun of ourselves. And there's a sweetness about that. And it allows you, as we found, <laughs> to say some pretty crazy things. Because the audience also felt like, well, we know these guys. We know that they're decent sorts. And what podcasting is great at is highlighting that. In fact, when podcasters talk to me, you know, I'd say once or twice, at least once or twice a month, it used to be more frequent, but to your original point, I've become something of a sounding board for podcasters. And I always tell them the same thing. I always say, find something you really, really love to talk about. That should be your show. Don't try and invent something. And I said, and, and then talk about it in the most authentic way you can. Don't, don't care, it doesn't matter if the cat's making a noise or one of your kids comes in, or in my case, the dog's always barking during the show. It doesn't matter. People will, people will allow that if they feel like they know you. 
You know, as far as television, one of the reasons that network television is so, feels so antiquated is because the people on network television still say things like, heck, <laughs> or, oh, he got a real butt kicking. Who talks like that? No one calls, no one says, oh, he's got, well, I don't, oh, excuse my friends. You know, you know, they just, it's all so fake. And when in a world of streaming entertainment where, you know, it's at seven o'clock at night, if you want to watch an R-rated episode of whatever, you can. We're all our own network executives now, and, and, we, and we curate content in the manner that suits us. And that manner is more authentic than it's ever been. And that's also reaching, I guess, advertisers' interest because they're seeing that they can connect to consumers in a fresh new way, um, uh, to your point. Um, okay, we're running out of time. So final question, final yes, thoughts. Yes. And we may have covered a lot of this and you had a very yes. poignant way to do that. But what do you think is the most powerful thing podcasting enables us to do? Like if you look at it, at its impact, um, what do you think that thing is? Well, I, I think, and, and I kind of answered it, it's the honesty and authenticity and intimacy. It's kind of all the things that radio was ironically, originally. There was a real intimacy to it. And, and that's always what's drawn me and listeners to really, really good radio, is that you feel like it's just you and that person having a conversation, even though you can't talk back to them. So the most powerful thing I think podcasting has done is taken any subject matter in the world that, as I've said earlier, that you're interested in, and if you find the right person, you can have a really intimate, authentic experience in the way that I think the medium, the original medium was meant to be. Like I said, it's sort of ironic that really good podcasts remind me, and I mean all of them, like the crime ones, the real stories, they all remind me of old time radio. Yeah. Do you listen to some old time radio now? I do. I mean, occasionally I do. I mean, I'll tell you quickly, I know you gotta, you gotta go, but on our radio, on our podcast, we do commercials like they used to do back in the original days mm -hmm. of radio. We don't have any produced commercials. They're just all Fred and I saying, hey, if you're interested in some small business uh, insurance, use who we use etc etc you know i mean you talk about innovation think about what those people had to do back in the day in the early days of radio there was no blueprint they had to figure this stuff out and sometimes it's more innovative okay with that i will thank you howard as always an intelligent insightful conversation and uh we thank you for being a part of d next listen man you were there at the beginning with me and i will say this very quickly a lot of what you and i spoke about that first summer and the encouragement that you gave Fred and I um, was very, very, uh, we were very grateful for it because sometimes when you have an idea, all you need is at least one other person to not think you're full of shit. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I will take that endorsement uh, and I appreciate it. And it uh, right. goes both ways. Thank you, Howard. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening. For more information about this episode or to hear any of our other in this masterclass series, please visit us at dnextnow.com. Until next time.